Uh, yeah, you want to lower that because you're right now and put it right in front of your face. There you go. Testing one, two, three. Testing on this mic. There you go. Do I sound like Robert Bublé? Robert Goulet or Michael Bublé? Keep going. Lacey Scarmana, the little assistant. There you go. <laughs> All right. Is that better? That's better. Cool. I can hear myself now. That's a good sign. All right. Uh, Mr. Reader, you say something. Yeah, Scott Reader, the picky uh, reporter that just drives photographers nuts. That's right. That's. Do you have that on your gravestone? There you go. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Wolbert. I'm Gary Cranbeck. And we're talking pictures. And in the studio, we have the the, the hosts of the the number three podcast in the world, Scott Reeder and Lacey Scarmana of Suspect Convictions. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. I'm I'm so excited. I've been worried about this setup. I've been testing and 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 mic testing for a week so that because Lacey's like a radio person, so I'm a little freaked out now that you're openly judging us. No, this is a cool setup. I love it. Wow, I feel now I'm all I know. I'm all a tingle now that she said our setup was cool. All right, so Scott, this is your brainchild, right? The, yes. Tell us about the podcast. Well, it's Suspect Convictions. It's based on a murder case I covered 26 years ago when I was a very young reporter in the Quad Cities. I was working for what, what's euphemistically called Brand X over here at the Dispatch. I was working for the Quad City Times uh, as their night cop reporter, and um, I got dispatched to uh, a scene that will always be with me for the rest of my life. It was just a pretty horrible thing. And, and who got killed? Well, um, the story goes, I was driving down 3rd uh, Avenue in um, downtown Davenport and got dispatched to a small fire at a school playground at Jefferson Elementary School and drove up there, got there the same time as the first patrol officer. The two of us walked over to where the fire was, and instead of being a trash fire, which we expected, it was the body of a nine-year-old girl that had been doused with gasoline and set on fire. This child's name was Jennifer Lewis. She lived on the west end of Rock Island, Illinois, and in pretty tragic circumstances. So how, how, did, we, how did you come to do a podcast about this all these years later? Well, um, in the um, spring, my organization was going through a restructuring, and I was going to get moved to a different position, and it wasn't really a position I really wanted to move into. And I was talking to my wife, and I said, you know, this isn't what I want to do. And she goes, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to write a book. I want to write a book about this case I covered so many years ago. And she said, well, why don't you do it? You know, you know, and so we talked about it. And, um, so I started working full time, writing the book and flash forward, oh, four or five months. My wife and I are driving up on the interstate, um, to pick up a puppy in the quad cities. And we're listening to the podcast serial and, um, I said to my wife, you know, this is just a fascinating case, but, you know, the murder I'm, I'm writing about is every bit as interesting, if not more interesting. I, you know, I had to do a podcast on this, too. Uh, and I, at this point, I'd interviewed like 80 people for the book, and they were all on tape. So I reached out to um, WVIK, someone I knew there, and said, you know, would you guys be interested in this? And a couple of days later, I um, find myself in the CEO's office at WVIK, and he wants to do it, and he assigned um, Lacey uh, to 
work with me on the project, and um, we've been working very hard on that ever since. See, well, Lacey, I, I had a couple quick, quick questions. Um, maybe you can kind of spell out your, uh, you know, your curriculum vitae here. How, uh, how did you uh, come about uh, this in the podcast? Uh, well, I work as a morning edition producer at WVIK and a digital curator and reporter. I kind of do a little bit of everything. And I was hired last year. Um, I started on Leap Day, actually. And I've just been doing a little bit of everything. And I'm seen as the bonus staff member that gets thrown at any different project that's going on. So when Scott came to Herb Tricks, the news director, and Jay Pierce, the CEO, with this idea, they said, Lacey will do it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I talked to Herb the next day, and he said, yeah, so there's this case you should research, and it's really cool, and Scott Reader will come in to talk to you about it. And I was just thrown into it. Oh, wow. Now, as, since the case has begun, I, I know one of the things that we always have to answer uh, whenever we, uh, you know, whenever we do um, an anniversary for, you know, a tragic incident or something like that, is, you know, we always want to make sure we're not uh, just kind of, um, you know, voyeuristically, voyeuristically uh, kind of, you know, ruminating or, or are, we, are we bringing fresh information or are we, I mean, are we moving the football down the field, so to speak? Um, I mean, you guys obviously... Uh, this is as in-depth as anything I've ever seen. Um, you know, what, how, how do you guys feel about, you know, the work that's gone so far? Well, we're, we feel very, I, speaking for myself, I feel fairly good about it. Um, and there's a really a new news ag- angle on this because um, the defendant in the case is getting a new trial. He's going to go up for trial in May. Um, there's a lot of issues that have been re- raised as far as um, police conduct in the case and how different things were handled. Um, and that the appellate courts have been very concerned about. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a fascinating case to cover, and I think it's a, this is a really good way of educating the Quad Cities about the issues that surround this um, trial coming up. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, for me, I don't... There's, you know, a very big following of the true crime stories, whether it be podcasts or documentaries or books. Um, and this one stood out to me because... Like Scott said, there is that news element that there's going to be a third trial. Um, I don't know if the circumstances have been different, if it was just something from the past, if I would have been as interested. But what's been really fascinating to me is that this murder happened in 1990, and the trials happened in 93, 95, and now here we are in 2017. So picking up this case and all of its issues and transporting it to 2017 has been really interesting because you deal with problems of race, of class, of you know socioeconomic status and it's it's really interesting to see how those themes have stayed with our culture and with our community here and how they're addressed differently and how we treat people differently now and it's I think that's been the most enlightening thing to me is seeing this happen now I think it, it was in episode one that you had mentioned that this murder happened before you were yeah, born I was born in 92 so how does this uh, uh, affect you, the way you cover it, you have no, you, you're not from the Quad Cities, so you have no prehistory with this. You come to this completely bare of opinion or experience. How has that helped or hurt you? I think it's helped a lot. We have, we're going into it with very different backgrounds. So obviously Scott has much stronger emotional stake in that where he was there when the body was found and that'll just stick with you forever no matter who you are. Um, so coming to it as an outsider, I think I've been able to step back a bit and say, and kind of distance myself from some of the emotions of it so we can clearly 
you know, give each person that we're talking to, you know, their fair time, which Scott as a reporter will do anyway. But I think I've offered a bit of a different perspective of looking at it as somebody who didn't experience it, what my impressions are or who I think we should talk to or what questions we should ask them. You know, it it was interesting that Gary was there the night that the body was found as the night photographer. And I was the guy who went to the morning press conference um, where the cops showed, and we'll use it as part of the thumbnail for this, um, of the photo of, of Schaefer emoting with, he had come into the room and taken her Jennifer's mugshot and he couldn't figure out kind of where to put it because there are all these microphones or whatever. And so finally he kind of turned a microphone or a, someone's old tape recorder. And it's funny to see the tape recorder in the photo because <laughs> you'd never go out with that today. <laughs> and he set the set the, the, the picture in front of it. And then I jumped to the back of the room because I knew that the picture wasn't him, but the picture of the picture with him in the background. So with a long lens, I was able to compress the two. But that wasn't anything compared to Gary having to be there. Gary, why don't you talk about your experience with this murder? Well, I remember uh, coming back to the office from another assignment and then dispatched over to Rock Island for what was told to be uh, a field fire or a grass fire or something of that nature. They didn't know exactly what. So I ran over there to Davenport. And when I came up Marquette Street, they basically had it blocked off. So I went around to one of the streets to the um, east of the of the uh, Marquette Street, and that time uh, Friendly House wasn't even built yet. So I got out, and there was kind of a little bit of a bluff there. So I crawled up that, and uh, sun was just going down. It was getting pretty dark, and they they brought out the the spotlights and things like that. So I got the last you know whisper of smoke and things of that nature. Um, and the fireman standing there. Um, then I went back to the car, and I think at that time we had radios, and told them, and they said, get what you can and hightail it back here. Um, I'm not sure who the reporter was that was doing the story for us. Tom Stay. Was, was that? Tom Stay, I've interviewed him for Oh, okay. Um, so that's basically all what it was, and then came back and, and hustled it, and got it uh, printed as fast as I could. I, I find it, we've got this atmospheric train noise in the background that I'm not entirely <laughs> sure it's being picked up. That sounds like I added this, the, the mood effect of a, of a train rumbling through the Quad Cities, but it's actually the, the, the 3.30 train going through downtown Moline. So. You know, one of the interesting things, and I, Scott, I think you, you say it early on, and um, I, I can't remember what episode it was, but you don't, you don't ever get to pick the, the victim. You know that uh, this this kid, uh, you know, it, it's hard to uh, uh, to kind of imagine what kind of life she had before and during, and then uh, you know, obviously we know what happened after. But um, and I thought that was interesting, and I th- and I th- one of the interesting things is I've been in this area in media for quite a while, and um, I did not recall all of the, you know, just how rough it must have been to try to talk to the parents about uh this kid and you know kind of all the the problems with the testimony and all the problems with uh you know uh, keeping things from a jury that may or may not taint what uh you know what they're looking at um in in going back are you reporting things that you that either didn't get reported at the time or oh yeah i mean you know for example you know we 
we went back. I went back and interviewed jurors um, that had been in the case, and you know, one of the ca- one of the jurors, you know, was a pretty. Um, how would you describe him, Lacey, uh, the fellow from South Africa? Racist. <laughs> okay. He was racist. I mean, he was talking about, you know, white people having larger brains than, than black people. and um, I nearly drove off the road and going to Cambridge <laughs> yesterday. I'll be honest. I texted Lacey after I heard it. I'm like, oh, my God, I nearly drove off I, the road. Yeah, literally it, jaw-dropping. It was it, like, it, how? Yeah, the question, but, he just asked, what was your first impression? And he went on for longer than what we even have in there, like, several minutes oh of his first impression which included a lot of history apparently of the human race yes and i like whoa this is then i thought i stopped and i thought hey this is gonna be a whole lot better interview than i thought it was going to be you know and we, he was very revealing and it was interesting because when i'm interviewing him and it's like you ever interviewed somebody who doesn't know they're racist and doesn't think they are but they really are espousing things that are really kind of more than a little bit offensive, and that was um, that was the reaction I had, and you know, uh, it was so that was something that we didn't know, um, and nobody had had tried to interview or had interviewed jurors after the trials, and you know, you had somebody like that sitting on the jury. That's concerning. I mean, whether he's, you know, beyond the evidence of the case, you want somebody who's going to give everybody a fair shake, just no matter what race they are or whatever. Scientifically speaking, no matter what you think about Stanley Liggins, I'm pretty sure his brain is the same size as the rest of us. I yeah, probably. I I I was amazed, and it's weird because, uh, and maybe Lacey, this is something you can appreciate. Um, I know as a 50 year old man, there are things I hear today that I heard when I was 20 that you know I'm like, wow, that was really racist, or wow, that was you know crazy sexist, or you know, gosh, you don't hear language like that anymore. Um, but this is. I th- I would hope in the in 1990 I would have just been a, as appalled by what this guy said as uh, and you know it's it's episode five I think is the uh, interview mm-hmm. so you know check it out if you don't believe yeah us. it was yeah it was disturbing very disturbing when I when he shared that with me it's like wow but there's there's a, there was a lot of things that we brought together um, just interviewing people like we hunted I hunted down a social worker that um, uh, had. Um, from the state of Iowa had actually been the social worker for Jennifer's mother when she was a runaway, and then later was the social worker looking in on the family uh, when Jennifer was a baby and um, talking to them about that. We hunted down um, um, the um, people who managed the apartment complex in central Iowa where Jennifer lived when she was a child, a very small child, and they had distinct memories about this family, and, you know, it's just the whole thing. We just it, a lot of it was just shoe leather reporting, and, that, it, and it felt so good to be doing that. I mean, I spent the last seventeen years or so working as a legislative reporter, and so much of what you do covering the state house is you're going through spreadsheets and looking at budget numbers. You're going through um, going to news conferences and asking politicians questions. You're doing a lot of things like that, and there's there's value in those things, but. They're all very predictable. When you go out and you're actually interviewing people about a case that they were involved in or knew about 26 years ago, you never know what's going to get said. And that was that was kind of interesting. I've driven to Mississippi and to New Orleans and to Minnesota and all over Iowa and Illinois for this uh, story, and we've gotten a, a lot of different voices into it. 
I thought the family, the Ligon's family interviews were really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I really thought that was interesting. The, the most heartbreaking, though, is when you tell her story and how tragic her her life her life up until you know it's horrible demise but it, mm. it she's the little girl did not live i mean it's the kind of thing of of movies where you you watch a movie about some horrible poor child's life and you're like oh god it's it's you got to keep reminding yourself it's a movie but no this is real life it was it's really heartbreaking and people who are listening to our podcast need to go over and subscribe to to this podcast and listen to this podcast because and and we're it, we're luck, just lucky to have you here locally to talk about this really cool thing because a lot of what we we talk about on the podcast ends up being in some of our more popular episodes about our difficult things that we have to go photograph and uh, Gary and I've talked off and on about about this case because it, it's just uh, it's the kind of case that sticks with you and I, I can't tell you any other picture I took other than you know I mean that was I was only here a year when I took that picture and it was it's always stuck with me I mean that 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 that, that her little school picture sitting there it's it's hard being the reporter here can you mind if I ask a question sure uh, yeah by the way folks if you're interested in subscribing, it's Suspect Convictions. Uh, you can find it on iTunes or most any other platform that offers podcasts. But one of the things that I observed that night when I was at the at the scene or the body scene was, you know, I was standing about two, three feet from the body and it was still on fire. And channels four, six, and eight showed up and they set up their tripod uh, and cameras about four or five feet from the body and turned on the Klieg lights. And they actually did live shots uh, of the body um, that went. I mean, uh, that went out, and it's like I've never seen that before, any place, or heard about that. I mean, what's your guys' reaction to that? Was that I don't appropriate? Have, I well, certainly wouldn't be appropriate today. We we it wouldn't. I don't think it'd ever make the air today. Um, we've had make we've had to make decisions here on on pictures to run or not run. Gary and I were talking yesterday about the the drowning of a of a small child in in, her, in a pond in heritage section of Moline and you know Gary you know was the first one there and the the lifeless body of the the child being brought out of the out of the thing. Well it was two day, what was it two days before Christmas? Yeah, it was like two or three days before Christmas. We didn't run that picture and we don't we don't really run body pictures. We we run covered up bodies but you know, we don't. Would you remember what your picture looked like from this? Because you were there was no you you weren't there when the live live shots were going on, or were you? Uh, no, I think they were off to the side. Uh, I basically went through the archives and found the picture that they ran. It was basically a uh, an ambulance in the foreground, and then in the back you could see I think like two or three police or investigators uh, with a spotlight and. I don't know what you could see looking on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I, I brought it with me. There, Scott went through and found all the archives from the dispatch and from the Quad City Times, and there was a column in the dispatch that ran. I can't remember who wrote it, Rush but it Scott. was, but it was about the yeah, the ethical concerns of shooting this live on air because they said kind of what you said that in any journalistic setting whether it be a newspaper or whatever you're going to weigh the pros and cons of the content that you're putting out there and um yeah apparently back in 1990 they also thought that was inappropriate at the time and 
it's a split second decision, I think, where you're at the scene and you you don't know what to show, and yeah. it just happens. And if well, you know, and the police now uh, are so media savvy, and so right. you know, so um, I think almost to the point where the pendulum swung in the other direction. Um, you know that they're they're going to be make sure you don't get a photo like that, and they're going to make sure you don't get a live shot like that. I wouldn't go live with a picture of a dead body of a small child. Uh, at six o'clock or ten o'clock or any other o'clock, I, I just I think you have your reporter and then you can shoot around it. Um, I mean, you may shoot it for file purposes for probative value down the road, but you certainly don't air it. Um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't run a burnt child. I mean, no. I mean, I I can honestly say this is absolutely the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, oh, I, I can't and, even imagine. And I just thought, you know, looking back. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but yet it was conveyed into everybody's living room in the in the Quad Cities. That's just kind of. Have you have you thought about doing a, an episode about the media coverage of your of your thing? Of, we were discussing that today. We're thinking maybe that would make that episode eight, perhaps. Um, Lacey and I were having that discussion, and I, I had suggested it, and we all thought, yeah, that's a really good idea. So maybe we can get uh, Mr. Cranbeck uh, on there to talk about what he remembers from okay. uh, from. Um, when that when we did that there're not very many of us left mo or uh, at channel 6 might have been there bald parma would be in milwaukee i think maybe he was there andy mckay would have, that would have been his that would have been under his watch or jose might have been there no jose, jose was with, he says he remembers the, when i posted that picture and a little bit of blurb that i wrote about it on facebook that it was um jose casillas uh, Joe Casillas at, at uh, Channel 8 remembers going to the press conference, so he would have been on the day shift with me from Channel 8. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Lacey, I, I had one question. One of the things that we kind of run into, um, and I don't say it's a problem, and Scott, maybe you can answer this too. You you investigated and you did interviews and things like this for like four months before you thought about a podcast? Yeah, probably five or six months actually, yeah. Now, did you have to go back and re-interview people or, yeah? A few. Um you know, part of it was because I was doing it, you know, for a print publication. I was doing it for a book. So I just took along my little reporter handheld um, tape recorder and interviewed folks. And I think we did fine when I was doing it in person. But when I would do it um, over the phone from my home, um, I used a little earpiece to do it. And Lacey informs me that that's not <laughs> the best sound quality for for for, um, for broadcast purposes. So we re-interviewed a few people. Then some people we couldn't get a hold of. Um, um, so we used the, uh, the the little bit lower quality of sound. Um, you remember, guys? Remember Lisa Toronto? She was a reporter for Channel Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. She she was one of the people we interviewed, um, and um, she'd gone into the jail and interviewed Stanley Liggins and had some distinct memories about him and. And, you know, so that was that was one of the things, you know, if I had to do over again and I knew I was going to do a podcast, I I would do the recordings a whole lot differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I would um, invest in a, in a better um, recorder, kind of like the one you got there, Todd. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's a pretty cool one. I would like to get a snazzy reporter uh, recorder like that but um i'm all about the toys baby yeah. all about the toys <laughs> gotta have the right gear 
What I sent, you're talking about, that was one of my questions too, was the fact that I sent Lacey an email or a text. I'm like, hey, good job fixing Scott's <laughs> audio because I can just, I've had to, you know, do multimedias with reporters and they do it and, they, you know, the microphone is two miles away from them or whatever and you're trying to fix. Well, even, yeah. even, even I in my learning process, when, yeah. you know, you do an interview in a coffee shop and you're like, oh, surely that stuff's not showing up. Oh, Lord. They pick up yeah, everything. Plates and yeah. forks yeah. and knives and, yeah trucks in the background and so i mean it's not it's not easy and it, the learning curve is steep and especially if you're not prepared for no you know my ears will only be on this so i don't have to worry about you know yeah it was a mindset when i was doing the interviews originally it was you know it's just, just for me just for note-taking purposes basically you yeah. know and then of course and then we uh, went back and we we're going over it and it was like wow this is you know this you know this could be some good stuff for a, for a podcast what is your workflow I'm a, I'm, I'm always interested about people's workflow. So how do you guys work together? How does the story get built? Okay. You want to comment on that or you want me to? Uh, sure. So uh, when we first started, it was kind of intermittent. The first thing I did for the podcast was we went to the cemetery on what would have been Jennifer's 36th birthday. So that's when I met her mother and her godmother, Mary, and then a couple of family friends there. Um, and that was the first thing I went and recorded and my introduction to meeting people and doing the reporting for this. Um, and then we kind of met sporadically after that. And when we finally got into actually producing the episodes, Scott would usually come up once a week. He lives in Springfield. Um, <laughs> and he would come to the Quad Cities once a week. And we would work. Um, at first, we kind of wrote the first script together. And that episode went through a lot of revisions and eventually became what it is now. Um, and then we have an intern now at WVIK, Alfredo Monteca, who has provided a lot of production assistance. So he's there with me more on a daily basis of going through the tape and finding which parts we want to use and editing that all together. Um, and then we all come together and listen to the drafts and pass them back and forth and say, I think we need to include this. I don't think we need this. Were you conscious of uh, your episodes are the perfect length? Thank you. <laughs> they're, they're the perfect length. Is that a byproduct of a plan or happenstance? It's a, it's a byproduct of Lacey winning an argument with me. <laughs> it's, uh, I said, let's go for an hour. And you, she said, I think a half hour is a better length. And I go, you know, uh, you guys remember when I was doing a lot of writing for the dispatch. I mean, I like long stories. And she was like, <laughs> half hour, no more. And yeah, we, we so, went back and forth a lot. I think we ha I had produced one that was like 50 minutes or something for the first episode. And um, Scott left, went back to Springfield. And I was like, I don't like this. So I just changed it. I cut it down a bunch. And he came and I played it for him. He was like, okay, yeah, that sounds okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because that was... I, like I said, I, I talked to you yesterday that, that, that I got, I had to go to Cambridge for an assignment and I was only through episode two so far, but it's a, it's a whatever minute drive to Cambridge where you're waiting for your subject to get ready and show up in the rain. You know, you listen, to, I knocked them all out by the time I was back to Moline. It was great. Yeah, we were, we are very strategic about what we're going to cover in each episode. So mm -hmm. each episode tells a story in and of itself, whether it's, you know, going to Jennifer's background or Stanley's background, we try to limit what you're going to learn from that episode and they all build on each other. I, I thought the description of the car being put back, I completely <laughs> forgot about that part. Of, and that's the interesting thing for me and probably for Gary too and Todd that we were here, but we, you probably didn't think, you know, you, there's just, I mean, we, there was a stretch of murders I mean, remember there was there was Amber Sutton and there were the the baby April and the I mean there was all sorts of 
weird 90s murders that happened in the area and they kind of all run together in your head and 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 so you forget the facts of whatever i had completely forgot about the fact that they took a car apart and brought a section of it back into the courtroom and 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 i thought it's and you guys do a great job of of talking and i think it's it's part of bill davis's interview too uh, or at least the bill davis round one interview that uh he talks about that and I mean, as as someone who, you know, I've watched plenty of TV, so I'm really good at this lawyer stuff, but, like, why <laughs> well, we would that are. ever have been allowed in? Like, obviously, they took a car apart. That's obviously not the, the, the car that those people saw. Like, I, it blew my mind. Um, but I, I it, it's, it, it's, it's another great little factoid, and, and I binged listen to the podcast over a period of about two days, and I anxiously awaiting six and, and, and more and, and to come out. But um, one of the things that really surprised me is how much participation you've gotten from what is and was competitive media. Um, you know, it's, I think everybody around here has been pretty good to each other when it comes to, you know, it's, we, you know, it's the, the old war days of, uh, you know, the times and the dispatch and eight, six and four of kind of, you know, we're all, all fighting our own battles now, but uh, I was really impressed with the amount of cooperation you've gotten from people. Uh, you know, it's Chris Miner. You mentioned the, the the lady from Channel Four earlier, and um, yeah, it's been really and and it's it's really weird how interesting you know that they that the parts that they've been able to present. And both the Times and the Dispatch opened up their whole archives of um, stories for us to have, and um, and um, you know, I was able to go copy a bunch of photos. Um, from both places it was it, they've been both been very helpful i mean um really no complaints as far as dealing with the media other than almost every place i deal with is so short-handed it's sometimes uh takes a while to get to make the arrangements to get what you need but you know i didn't really run into any hostility or anything like that well, so. you credit Channel 8 for archive yeah, audio. What they, what what archive audio are we talking about? And we all know, well, we don't all know. Everybody in this room knows that the the amazing quote that that Chris Miner got from him that I uh, I like cheese but I'm not a rat. I like kids but not like that. I mean, it was almost somebody wrote it for him. Right. I mean, it, it is it's this quip that is eerie and spooky and creepy and all sorts of things. But you've used it a couple times in the podcast and use it in the intro, yeah, it's right? Yeah, in the intro. Um, so Stanley is ha, has been told not to talk to media before the trial, which I think for obvious reasons he doesn't want to hurt his case um, this many years later. But I worked with Andy McKay at Channel 8. and we Good went. Man. Yeah, he was really nice. And we went through the archived tape that they have available here. I, they have more that <laughs> they keep at another location um, for storage purposes. So I haven't um, gotten into that. But the stuff that they had, he was more than willing to help me go through and so there are a couple of bits from there's the testimony from the stepfather who is missing in action right now so we were able to get his voice in there and what he said about Stanley Liggins at the trial um the few bits of audio we have from Stanley Liggins is all from Channel 8 so they were Andy McKay was great to work with did you um now you interned at WBEZ mm -hmm. the mecca of these kinds of podcasts 
And I remember when we first met, I was very excited that you'd worked there. And I asked you how, how Ira Glass was. And you said that he was in New York. He's in New York. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the question everybody asks you. Yeah. But the, the, People are disappointed. I have, I have, I visited their studios before. They're beautiful. I've not met Ira Glass. I saw him. He visited WBEZ for their 25th anniversary gala. And he walked by in the distance, <laughs> but I've not met him. I've seen his studios and I've seen him, but not in the same place. But that the experience at WBEZ and being around those the people that are producing these kinds of things or efforting them, how much of that was an influence on the on your efforts with this podcast? Yeah, I think just listening to podcasts in general really helped. And I worked with a lot of talented people there. Um, I've worked with a lot of talented people here. Either this was new territory for WVIK and for me. They haven't produced a podcast like this before, and neither have I. So it was nice that Scott kind of took this leap of faith with us, and we all worked together to get it get it done. But um, yeah, just you know, Scott mentioned Serial. Everybody you know knows Serial as this this crime podcast and. At the beginning, I was so nervous about that. I was like, that's Sarah Koenig. You know, she's worked for This American Life for so long. She really knows what she's doing. Um, she is a great long-form narrative storyteller. And um, I think I think we've done a good job with our podcast. I won't say that I'm at Sarah Koenig's <laughs> level in the industry yet. But I think listening to her storytelling and other people has been really helpful in kind of shaping ours. We've done a little less of kind of the back and forth um editorializing i guess right because this is our you know for the station it's our news coverage of this trial and as a reporter in the situation i'm not going to weigh in and say did stanley do it or not because that's not my place i'm just putting all these other voices out there and building building up this i don't know this case that people can decide on the for themselves or wait until we actually have a verdict you know you talked about talking to other podcasts and that was something i found this is all new to me too. I mean, I'm an old print guy, and I what I did one of the things I did is I looked up what was that day was the number one podcast in America. It was called a podcast called Accused, and it was put out by the Cincinnati Enquirer. And they had a uh, the person who was in charge of it was a woman named Amber Hunt. And I said, oh, I'm just going to give this woman a call and see if she can give me some advice as I'm about to launch. And so I started talking to her about the case, and we got to talk, and she goes, Well, you know, I'm from Bettendorf. I go, what? She she was a Bettendorf High School graduate. She had been a sports part-timer at the Quad City Times when I was a reporter there. I don't have any recollection of her at all, but um, we uh, it was interesting. And she was able to give us some real good, good guidance on how to put things together and what, you know, you know, a, a narrative form and some other things that were really beneficial. What's the biggest difference? Todd had asked, we were talking about this before we came up, was what's the biggest difference in, in t- this narrative in a podcast as opposed to the way your book and your and your stories that you wrote previous to this? What's the biggest difference? Well, I mean, you know, the traditional way of writing a news story, you know, what we learned in journalism school is to do the inverted pyramid. And of course, we don't write that way very much anymore. But you, you have a lot of liberating... Um, you have a, it's a lot of ways it's very liberating doing a podcast because you have so much authenticity. You can people hear the actual voices of people say saying something as opposed to when you read a news story. And you know, I love newspapers. Don't get me wrong; that's where I've spent most of my life. But you're reading a quote of what a reporter says somebody said, and so you have a lot more immediacy here when you when you listen to it. Uh, I think you get a little bit more flavor for. 
not just what was said, but how it's said. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time interviewing people in the South and interviewing people in a lot of different cultures. And you hear the accents, you hear the different things, and you get a sense for the flavor of the story better, I think. The, uh, the, well, that's what takes me back to the, one of my questions that I wrote down, was that you went to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. That was riveting. And so had you ever gone to the have you as a young reporter, have you ever done anything like that before? Or is this kind of like, are you, were you breaking new ground but with being in that kind of situation? Yeah, that was a new situation for me. I've, cover, I've interviewed people who have lost family members, whether it be recently or in the past, but I've never been, you know, there at the scene as they're in their environment of grieving or celebrating the life of somebody. Um, and of course, this was years after the death, but they were still, you know, in this place that took them back. Um, we were there, like we said on Jennifer, what would have been her 36th birthday, which was also the day that they buried her. She was killed just a few days before her 10th birthday, and her funeral was actually on her birthday. So it was emotional. You know, they were blowing up balloons and writing messages on them to send to her, and it was it was really neat that they let us in and wanted us there and shared that with us. Are you amazed at what people tell you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I did, We talk about that I, on the podcast all the time. Yeah, I... Yeah, hearing Scott talk about hearing voices. I love radio, of course. I work in it, so I'm a little biased, but I, I do. I really love hearing the voices, and um, I don't know. I, I love, you know, every medium has its advantages and disadvantages, but I just love how you kind of build this story in your head. You're hearing all the voices, and you're still taken to that atmosphere, even though you can't see it. You feel like you can, and you're there with them, and it's so intimate that, you know, they're in your headphones or they're in your car, and you're you just feel so close to them. I think that's something really powerful that audio and radio can offer. Um, So I'm glad that you could feel that sense that we were there in the cemetery and hearing them blowing up the balloons and praying and, you know, the wind is blowing in the background. And so I'm glad that worked. Shotgun Mike? (laughs) It wasn't. Yeah, no, it was. um, Well, actually, that one might have been. I'm trying to think. That one, I think, was a shotgun Mike, actually. So you got your Morantz? I have my Morantz. Rear Morantz and a shotgun mic, yeah. and you're kind of quietly standing there observing and pointing. Yeah, so part of it, you know, they're blowing up balloons, and we're chatting along the way, um, and I'm, you know, <laughs> waving my mic at whoever happens to be talking. But then, yeah, for when they gathered around the headstone, I just kind of, you know, tried to keep a respectful distance while, you know, holding my microphone up to them still, and was able to capture that, luckily. Yeah, no, as someone who has to film people, you know, my thing now and later in my career is that I love the the video or the the multimedia where you can hear the audio of of my subject or whatever, mm-hmm. and and that kind of when to you know, like when to shut up. That's the one thing we Todd and I talked about when people start doing multimedia. Shut up. Yeah, I think and, that's why I, I I picked this field is that I I tend to do that just kind of step back and observe and just watch what's unfolding or listen to what people are saying. So I think that's why, you know, this podcast as we've been doing more and more interviews in person, it, you know, you kind of step back and just give them the floor and they have all the say or you're observing their actions and it's pretty powerful. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's really good podcast. It, it really is, is super good, yeah. I'm suspectconvictions.com. <laughs> what uh what is uh what's the future? What are we going to what are we looking at here in the weeks and months to come? Well, we have a um hearing coming up um, in February where we're going to do some of the pretrial motions. We'll obviously be covering that. Uh, we have 
We're planning um, episode six right now. should be coming out later this week. We're looking at a variety of different issues in this episode. I think it's going to be a very interesting one. Uh, we're thinking the following week we're going to do an open panel where we're going to discuss what's come up so far. We're going to invite people from other podcasts um, that deal with these type of issues to discuss it and kind of interact and give their critiques on and what they what their impressions are you know, from the evidence that we've presented in the case. And uh, I think that's going to be interesting. We're also going to field um, questions through social media from listeners. You know, you know, why did you do this or why did you do that? That sort of thing. So that'll be fun. And we've, as we're just talking today, maybe the next episode, this is tentative, but is looking at how the media went about covering this case. And, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to people, you know, would you do the live shot again the same way you did that night if it was, you know, here in 2017? Or would you think about it in a different way? Um, you know, to talk to people who were involved in the coverage of the case and how does the media shape things and, um, you know, those sort of things. So... Yeah, I think we're going to do that, and so there's we're going to we're hoping to have a episode a week um, through June. And June's in May. We're going to start a trial, uh, probably in Scott County, uh, looking at this case, and then it'll end in, in in June, hopefully with a verdict. And so that's one of the other cool things about this podcast, uh, suspect convictions, that makes it different than a lot of others. There's a resolution in sight. We don't know what the resolution is going to be. But we know there's a trial on the horizon, and it gives us an opportunity to, you know, to know there's going to be some sort of closure more than likely to this case. You know, he's either going to be found guilty or not guilty. And um, I think that that makes it, for in a lot of ways, uh, a, uh, a more, I don't know, how it, what would be the right word to use, Lacey, a more... Um, There'll be some closure at the yeah, end, which exactly. I think is nice. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the interesting thing that you said that for me is that because but the name of the podcast has nothing to do with the particular case, much the way Serial went from Saeed uh, to Ber- Bo Bergdahl. So those are two completely different things. Do you plan another podcast after this? Yes, that- we're planning a season two right now, um, doing the very preliminary work on that. Um, you want to break some news here and tell us what that is? Uh, it's still tentative. I sat down with the attorney representing a client um, and talked to him about the case and see if they had some interest in working with me. And there was some interest, but we, I don't think he's talked to the client yet, so I'd be a little bit reticent oh, to um, disclose it um, to, the, um, to the whole world before the clients hear about it. Our but, seven listeners want to know. <laughs> yes, but um, it's, it, is, um, it is an interesting case. And, you know, so, yeah. Um, we, we also deliberately picked a name I and mean, it's kind of funny. We, my wife and I are sitting on the sofa trying to come up with a name for this podcast. And I wanted something that wasn't going to be, um, specific to this particular case. It could go for future seasons and other cases. Uh, and one of the things that came to my mind is, well, you know, Stanley Liggins has been tried twice and convicted twice and he's a suspect in the case. So suspect convictions, but you also could say, well, you know, people are, are contesting whether he, this was a, he should have been found guilty or not. So maybe the conviction is suspect. So it can be interpreted either way. So we wanted, we thought, well, maybe that's a good one. And each time we come up with an idea, we'd run it through the um, a search to see if anybody else had come up with that title before. And when we got to suspect convictions, that one was free. So we latched on that one right away. 
We did not do enough research on the name of our podcast. <laughs> Way to bring that we're up. The Talking Pictures Podcast. Well, we were going to be River City Shooters, and we thought that it would be a gun podcast. You know, so then we went with, you know, Paul Coletti twisted my arm into, into, um, talking pictures. into the talking pictures. But then the, the, most of the talking pictures have to do with movie reviews. So we're, we're the only so photography. We have to, right. So we're talking actual pictures. And in this case, it's pictures of your mind. On the <laughs> you build the pictures right. as they talk. That's right. That's right. That's well, right. We well, we can't thank you enough. You guys are super busy, Scott. You in town for, from Springfield. It worked out perfectly that you could do this. Actually, you're being you're being we were scheduled a little bit earlier, but it worked out great that you were later because then I got to go to the. Well, news there you show. go. And remember, folks, <laughs> suspect <laughs> convictions. What was it? Suspect. What was it? That's right. Suspect convictions. Is it suspectconvictions.com? Well, if you go to suspectconvictions.com, you can download it, or you can go to iTunes and just do a search for. Suspect Convictions and find it or on many other uh, podcast platforms. Or WVIK.org. There That's you go. True. Yeah. All right, kids. Uh, I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Wilbert. I'm Gary Cranbeck. And we'll see you later. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. The Talking Pictures Podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Wilbert, Meg McLaughlin, Brian Achenbach, and Gary Cranbeck. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incoputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog, talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of the Dispatch Argus and QCOnline.com, with special thanks to Laura Frames, Randy Fisk, and Laura Anderson Shaw. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud.